Acts 8, verses 1 through 8. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day, uh, that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him say and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Hello, everybody. Ooh, that was powerful. Did you feel the spirit of God just resonating? <laughs> Wish I could claim that. <laughs> All right, I hope you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8. You just heard the passage read. But uh, even before we get going on that, I want to give you a little bit of an update of what happened this weekend. I've, I know many of you were reading the paper or saw the, the article linked in our Facebook, um, and who knows how else you heard about it. But we did have a break-in this last week and um, really wrecked the place pretty badly. Uh, a lot of windows are smashed out in the bottom floor here, or the middle floor. That's the entrance that you come in. Um, soundboard ripped out, um, just doors demolished. And uh, I, I know a lot of you know that this person that did it was at one time part of our church. And by the way, his family still goes to our church, and we love them very, very much. And um, so I'm going to invite you to pray because, you know what, this stuff you can replace. That's not a big deal. In fact, here's the amazing thing. The exact soundboard that we had up there, which is now wrecked, somebody in our church who is up there right now had the exact same $15,000 soundboard sitting around his house. Who does that? It's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> but he had it, and he actually does sound for a lot of uh, rock shows and music shows, and he does it professionally. But he said, hey, you can use this until you guys figure out what you're going to do. So we're up and running with that. And then we had in Allentown glass shop hear about this and email us and say we'd like to volunteer to come in and replace all your glass so that's amazing right amen so for any of you who would like to come up and talk to me afterwards there are a couple things we would like wrecked in this church so that we can replace it no i'm kidding but in all seriousness, would you be praying for the individual that did that? We love him. He was a, and is rather, um, still a good friend of my oldest son, Matthew, who was up here. Good friend of our family as well. Um, we love him. He needs prayer. That's what counts, and that's what we need to be doing. So as a church family, there's no reason to, um, you know, say you know, slanderous things or angry things about him. That's not what we're about. We're about loving even those who are in bondage, and uh, we want to pray and ask the Lord to free him and to help him. All right, so everybody got to slide in a little bit because we still have people coming in, 
and um, they're trying to find places to sit. So if you could slide in just a little bit. And if you're online watching this, I wanted to invite you to, if you haven't yet, because, you know, I can't see you online like I can see the people here. So if you don't have your Bibles open, and, you know, I'm so tempted to call out a few of you on, by name that I know are watching this right now and normally do not open your Bible, but I'm going to be nice because I am maturing as a pastor. So I'm just going to graciously ask you, open up your Bibles, let's all get into the Word of God, and let's see what God's Word has to say to us. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Erwin. You are the chief amener. All right, here we go. And I've been doing this recently with you because, honestly, this is what I've been doing to myself. I ask myself questions. And by the way, I learned how to do that from God. He asks a lot of questions in the Bible. And you know, interestingly enough, he never doesn't know the answer. That's a double negative. That means he always knows the answer. He's omniscient. So he asks questions for a reason. And I think why he asks questions is to invite the hearers to be able to open up their heart, to see what needs to be seen. So unlike my questions... They don't carry the living power of the Word of God that can separate thoughts from um, intention and attitude in your heart. God's Word does. So let me just prevail upon you a question and get you to think about it the best you can, okay? What motivates you? Now, I need everybody to look at me because this is so important that we start out on the journey together in this sermon. So can you just look at me? Even though there's some of you, even when I ask that question, I could see a couple of you just sort of like, oh, I know you don't like it when I ask you to look at me. You're stubborn. But it really does help us start the journey together. What motivates you to share the gospel to spiritually lost people? All right, now come on, you've got to do something with that question. Don't let it just go in your mind and out and you didn't really pay attention to it. Just, just for a minute. Just really ask yourself, what's the motivation that moves you to share the hope of Jesus Christ with spiritually lost people? Now, I want to take that question and we're going to kind of return to it way down this sermon, but I want to get you thinking theologically. I want to get you thinking biblically for a moment. I want you to reflect with me on what God has done for you, Christian, and if you're not a Christian, what God wants to do for you, and what God has done for me. God has created you for a purpose. Can you really argue with that? I don't know if you can. I mean, you can try, but it's almost like trying to punch your shadow. You can't ever really connect on that one. God has created you for a purpose. You may not know what that purpose is, but it doesn't render the fact incorrect. He's created you for a purpose. And here's the purpose, you ready? To have life. Have you ever looked at it like that? He's created you to have life. That's one of God's major main purposes for you. And to know what it is to be loved by Him. To find your joy and your purpose in a relationship with Him. And to live in His blessing and peace. Now, I've got to imagine, at least either on the online audience that's watching this, 
or with all the people here right now, you may never have experienced this. Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? One that has been permeating your soul with his blessings. One that is grounded in his peace. You know, you came into this world, just like I did, with a disease in your soul. And it's made you, just like me, a natural-born rebel. Come on, nobody, nobody, nobody ever had to teach us to disobey our parents. You didn't read a little book full of colorful figures that represented disobedience and then picked it up. Now I know how to do it. You knew how to do it before you could read. You're a natural-born rebel just like I was, and your God was yourself. That means that your life existed for you, just like my life existed for me. I wanted to bring me pleasure. That was my motivation. And whatever place you gave to the one true God... It was only to use him to further your own goals in life. That's how everybody starts life. And all the while, this nagging and gnawing restlessness pervaded you all the way to the core of your soul. It was a deep existential sense that everything in life was not quite right. There was an inability that you had, and it was for me too, to hold on to satisfaction. And it kept drawing you, no matter how much money, no matter how many friends, no matter how many awards, no matter how many accomplishments, no matter how high on the corporate ladder you got, you just couldn't hold on to satisfaction. Everything you had was never enough. And while you couldn't solve the problem, why can't I be satisfied? You couldn't figure out what was wrong. But God knew, and God was pursuing you, and he was opening your eyes so that you could finally see what was really wrong with your soul. And what it really was gradually became clear. You were trying to live life without God, and somebody here might still be trying to do that. But that's like trying to drive a sports car without a motor. Like trying to swim without water, trying to ride a bike without a chain. You cannot enjoy life without God. It's literally impossible. And no matter how much you try, you just really can't get anywhere. But Christian, I want to speak to you. That's the polite way of describing the situation you were once in. It actually gets worse. Can you bear with me for a moment? Let me allow you to see it a little bit more without the polite words that I've been using. You see, in your natural-born rebellion, and in my natural-born rebellion, we really did know better. We did. You see, you were wired, just like me, to know that there really is a God who created you. You can try to suppress that truth, but it keeps bubbling up and you can't keep it down. You just tried ignoring it. But the universe shouts that there is a God, but you tried to hit the mute button. You didn't want to hear that shout. 
And in doing so, you turned against God. And you committed, like I did, treason against the one who made you. You you chose your own way, and that way inevitably led to your destruction. In some way or another, your life was going downhill. And the end, if it kept going, was going to be a place where God will never step foot. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, a place of permanence called hell. And nobody talked about hell as much as Jesus in the Bible. Did you know that? That's literally true. But friends, God gives life. And he gives life eternally. And the gospel is the proclamation of this life to any who will come to him in repentant humility and ask. And this incredible offer of life is about to leave the city of Jerusalem. And it's about to go right to a people group that the Jews hated. So let's pick it up in point number one. The gospel cannot be contained in one place. That is a truism if there ever was one. It cannot be bottled up. You've got Stephen that we looked at last week, actually the last three weeks, who was a godly saint. He was martyred by a furious, he was put to death by a furious Sanhedrin. 71 men, the religious elite of Jerusalem, they put him to death And there was a mysterious man named Saul who authorized the whole thing. Here we go, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So you've got the apostles. Remember, there's 12 of them. And they courageously stood their ground in the face of this, look what it says in verse 1, this great persecution. But the church scattered, but it scattered with a divine purpose. You see, this word scattered has more than one meaning in the Greek language. If you can recall, the New Testament is translated mainly from the Greek language, a little bit of Aramaic. The Old Testament is translated from the Hebrew language. So there's a Greek word behind the English word scattered, and it's got more than one meaning. Here it means to scatter for the purpose of planting. This was an agricultural use of the word scattered. Like you do, by the way, with a seed spreader with your your lawn. You might scatter fertilizer. You may scatter seeds. That, that, That Scott's seed spreader, whatever brand you've got, it throws the seeds out. That action of throwing the seeds out is the word scattered. And the church might have been fleeing to safety. And by the way, who can blame them? They're being dragged out of their homes in the middle of the night. They're being put into prison. Stephen is already martyred through stoning him to death. And look at verse 3. Look at the language. Saul was ravaging the the, the church. You know what that word ravaging means? It's used for a, a wild animal that ravages its prey, tears it apart, so that he can eat it and swallow it. That's what the word ravaging the church means. 
And he's entering house after house. He's dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. You see, the enemy of Christ was tearing at the church like a wild animal. Saul was trying to destroy the church. But God was the one using this persecution for his purposes. He scatters the church so that the seeds, the Christians, could be flung away from Jerusalem and be planted and bring out a harvest. By the way, sometimes God's going to scatter you. You're going to have all your plans. You're going to have all of your ideas of how life would go really, really well. And it's going to seem sometimes like you've got your dream life. And all of a sudden it crumbles. And when that happens, it almost always is the beginning of a scattering moment. God is going to put you and plant you in a new direction. And he's going to bring fruit. And in the middle of it, you're going to be wondering, God, what is happening? God, the death of my dreams is upon me. I'm depressed. I'm angry. But when the dust clears, you're going to be able to eventually see, Lord willing, just what your God was doing. You see, the dispersion of the church, the scattering of the church, where the Christians are sent out to be the seeds of the gospel, they're going to be planted. And look at verse 4. Those who were scattered, what did they do? Now, everybody look at this. When you get scattered, notice what they did so that you can do it. They went about preaching the word. That doesn't mean they got up in a pulpit. That doesn't mean that they got in front of a group of people and opened up the Bible and delivered a sermon. That word doesn't mean that. It means proclaimed. They're telling everybody about the gospel. Wherever they go, they're telling people that they meet. Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about the God who sent his son to die in our place because he loves you? Yes, he loves you, even though you're a natural-born rebel, even though you've committed cosmic treason against God. He still set his affections on you, and he died for you. You can have life in the name of Jesus. This is what the Christians are doing. This is what the scattered church does. You know, in 2006, you got to go back just about 15 years, it'll be 15 years this August, our church had fallen into, Cornerstone had fallen into a false mission mindset. Here's our mission mindset in 2006. How can we get people in the world, people who are spiritually lost, to come to church? All right, here's what we'll do. We'll put on really good programs. We'll have a a, a Christmas service that just is so warm and so intimate and so beautiful and an Easter service that just knocks people, you know, for a loop because it's so incredibly good. That's what we were trying to do. Have the best choirs, get an orchestra. But all of a sudden, God began to do a corrective. See, the problem is the world... Spiritually lost people are in rebellion to God. They don't want to go to church. And if they do go to church, they really don't want to listen. In fact, they lack the capacity to listen in their heart to the gospel. 
They do until God opens up their mind, which is called illumination through the power of the Spirit of God to regenerate them so they can have a desire for God. A new birth now has a capacity to trust God, but the world doesn't want to come to church. And we began to realize that really the problem is the church is not going to the world. This is why America is in the place that it is. It's the church holed up and waited for the world to come to them. It's completely reversing the gospel. The mission. We are the sent ones, Christian. We are the ones who go to the spiritually lost, not wait until somebody at work finally asks you about your faith. You go to them with your faith and you ask them about theirs or the lack of their faith. Is that not what Jesus said? It said in Matthew chapter 8, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say wait for the the nations to come to you and then make disciples. you got to go. I've got to go. He said in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, So I am sending you. Well, that means it's a verb. That means you've got to be in action. You've got to be in motion. And I do too. So listen, Christian, let's just get a massive correction for a moment. If you are not regularly, and if I am not regularly sharing my faith with spiritually lost people, you do not know the mission of Jesus. You just don't. And there's a corrective that's got to come to you, and there's a corrective that came to our church in 2006. Did not Acts chapter 1 verse 8 say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. Until the great persecution comes, and then it's in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, it's like you go to a pond, and you pick up a rock, and you throw it into the water, and all of a sudden, at the point of impact, there's a circular motion of energy, and it moves outward, and it will keep moving outward until it crashes and dissipates against the bank. That's what we are, church. We are to move outward until we get to the end of the earth, the bank. The rock that got the gospel moving was the great persecution. And look what happens with a man named Philip. He's one of the seven. Look where God directs the gospel to go. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Which leads us to point number two. Very simply, the gospel overcomes racial barriers. The gospel overcomes racial barriers. Stephen is the church's first martyr, right? We all know that. We saw it last week. Philip is the church's first missionary. And both, of the, both Philip and Stephen were part of the seven chosen to be the first deacons of the church. And God is about to send Philip, but where is he going to send him? The answer to that question of where God was about to send Philip could not have been more unlikely. Because it was straight into the region of Samaria. So listen, everybody look at me and I'm going to show you a crude map of Israel at the time of Christ. You've got way down in the southern part of Israel, Judea. 
The city of Jerusalem is in there. Bethlehem is six miles south of Jerusalem. You go way up to the top in the northern kingdom and you've got the region of Galilee. That's Nazareth, Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus was born. That's where Jesus grew up, rather. That's where he did the bulk of his ministry miracles. In the middle of Galilee and Judea is this area of no Jew land called Samaria. And I'm going to tell you something, and I don't know if you're going to believe it, but I've said it before. And it's as true today as it was the first time I said it. There has not been any time in human history where the world was filled with more racism, prejudice, and discrimination than the first century. Never. It was incredibly divided. Now, you know February is Black History Month, right? We're in the month of February. We're about to conclude it. This is Black History Month. And it ought to move us Christians to think deeply on what I'm about to explain to you. Do you have prejudice in your heart? Do you even know what prejudice is? Prejudice is a biased opinion toward people from a different social group. It's an opinion. It's a bias. Discrimination is a behavior. You act out those biases by treating people of a social group that's different than yours inappropriately. So that's prejudice. It's an opinion. This is discrimination. It's the acting of that opinion out in your behavior. But then what's racism? Racism is fundamentally a belief, it's an attitude that your, your race is superior to somebody else's. That's racism. And all three of these were on full display between Jews and Samaritans who were the mixed Jewish and Gentile people in the middle of Israel. That's what a Samaritan was, part Jew, part Gentile. You see, the history of Samaritans began hundreds of years before when the superpower of the world, Assyria, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And what they did was they exported the people they didn't kill. They left a remnant, but then they imported people from all their other areas that they had conquered all over the world. So now in Israel, you've got a mix of Jewish and Gentile people. And guess what? Jews began to fall in love with Gentiles and get married and produce children that no longer had a Jewish pure bloodline. And they were called Samaritans. And the Jewish mindset was that the Samaritans were polluted. They were an unholy bloodline of, of half Jews. Listen, this is how bad it was. If a Jewish daughter married a Gentile man in the first century of which Acts 8 was written, the parents of that Jewish daughter would hold her wedding Listen to this. And a symbolic funeral for her on the same day. They considered their daughter now dead to them and dead to Israel. Listen, I'm not making this up. This is how deep this racism and discrimination and prejudice ran between these two groups of people. If you were a Jewish merchant, business person, 
You would not go from Judea down south to Galilee up north through Samaria. Are you kidding me? You don't even want their dust on your sandals. You would go all the way around unless you had to. You'd go all the way around across the Jordan, up the wet east side of the Jordan, and then cross it back into Galilee. That's how they did it. Don't you remember that the disciples John and James asked Jesus if they could call down lightning from heaven and destroy a Samaritan village who had rejected them, who had said to Jesus and his 12 disciples, you're not welcome in our village. So John and James says, Jesus, can we call down lightning from heaven to destroy them? That was their mindset. They truly thought Jesus was going to say yes. But listen, the attitude of the Samaritans to the Jews was just as bad. They treated Jewish people terribly. Samaritans thought that their name meant the keepers of the law. They were the true guardians, they thought, of God's law. They only believed in the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't really believe in any of the rest of it, but they were the guardians of that Pentateuch. You know what happened in 168 B.C.? Antiochus IV, he was laying waste that entire region, doing incredibly bloody things. And the Jewish people would not cave. They died rather than give in to Antiochus. The Samaritans caved, and they allowed Antiochus to build a temple to Zeus on one of their mountains. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. That's the first century. It's into this prejudice, discrimination, and racism that Philip goes to bring the good news that God loves Samaritans just like God loves Jews. So let's pause. We, we Really, we should do this. We really should do this. Let's just be honest. Let's pause and reflect for a moment. Just let the word of God sink deeply into your heart. Is there prejudice? Is there discrimination? Is there racism in your heart? I'm going to tell you something. A year ago, almost literally a year ago, you asked me that question, I would have answered with an incredibly confident no. But something happened one morning. I'm in my office up in March Street. And I happened to watch because all the Portland riots were going on. And I got onto the news and I'm watching surveillance footage of a hooded protester throwing chairs and bricks and blocks through windows of the storerooms. And you know what went through my mind? This is horrible. Here's what went through my mind. I bet that person is black. I couldn't believe I thought that. You know what I did? This is what your flesh does, my flesh too. I kind of chalked it off as, oh, you know what, I'm not racist. Until a couple hours later, I'm driving down College Hill, uh, Cattell Street. 
And something similar happened, not vandalism, but somebody did something that was not nice, wearing a hood, and you know what thought went through my mind? I bet that person's black. And this time the Lord had me. He had me. I didn't know that was in my heart. I hated that. It was horrible. Where did that come from? What, you know what I did? I repented. I confessed. God, it's there. I didn't know. I never saw it. The Lord had unzipped me. He showed me my heart. I confessed it. I repented. And then I worshiped the God who loves over boundaries. There are no borders to God's love. And if I have to do that a thousand more times, I'm going to do it. I don't want that in my heart. And I don't want it in your heart. And you know what? It wasn't in Philip's heart. He went straight into the land of Samaria, ready to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And it brings us beautifully to the point, the last point. The gospel brings abundant life now. It brings abundant life now. You know, a moment ago I asked you this question at the beginning of this message. What motivates you to share the gospel to spiritually lost people? Did you think on that? Are you wanting unbelieving rebels to turn to Jesus so that they will not suffer eternally? Well, then I would suggest, if that's what your answer was, that what's motivating me is I don't want people that I love to go to hell, then I'm going to suggest, while that is highly motivating, and I agree there's people in my life I don't want to go to hell either, there's another motivation that really should be living in your heart if you're a missional Christian like the disciples. Share the gospel so that the spiritually lost can have an abundant life forever, starting even now. That's what ought to be motivating us. Do you not want them to have life and have it abundantly? This is what Jesus said. The thieves, who is Satan's purpose, is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's what motivates me. I want to share the gospel. Yeah, I don't want them to go to hell. But I want them to spend the rest of their life under the sun with life. With a rich and satisfying life. And that could begin the very moment that a lost sinner turns to Jesus Christ and is forgiven and saved. They are given life. And the present abundance of life in this world is to experience and know the infinite love of God. A love that is so powerful that it overcomes ethnic Racial barriers, joyfully telling everyone that Jesus Christ made a way for sinners to be saved, for rebels to find peace, for the spiritually dead to have a joyful life. Look at the life the gospel begins to bring. Look at verse 6. This is amazing. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and they saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. That's what the gospel does. 
You know, we began this series way, way back at Lopat Park over the summer, remember? Or actually it was in the fall, when we were meeting at Lopat Park outside for six weeks. And I shared the first week of this series, a movie from the 1982 Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan movie. And if you remember that, it was this scene that I shared. It was a computer simulation of a rocket that was detonated on a lifeless moon and it rapidly generated water and oceans and forests until that formerly dead moon was transformed into a life-sustaining planet. Do you remember that if you were here? The book of Acts, friends, listen, it's all about the rocket, which is the church. It's the delivery system. For the gospel, because it takes the payload, the gospel, to a planet that is desperately in need of transforming life. That's our job. That's your job as well as it's my job. We are the delivery system. And when that gospel detonates into the heart of a spiritually lost person, listen, it brings life. Not when they die and go to heaven only. It brings life now. And they begin to have purpose. They get free of demonic oppression. They can overcome addictions. They've got the power to love greater than they ever loved before. They can bask in the love of God for them and have peace that surpasses all understanding. That is life, and that is for them, and you could deliver it to them. So Christian, do you see the end of the line for the spiritually lost? Do you see them the way that God does, whose love knows no boundary? If so, then the question that remains is this. Will you overcome every barrier? Your fear of talking to them. Your prejudices if they're there. Your racism if it's there. Your biases if it's there. Your differences. Your apathies. And tell the spiritually lost just what life they could truly have. You know, I read, I'm almost done, but I read of a Chinese farmer, this is amazing, who had cataracts. He was blind. And he went to a Christian mission clinic, and the doctor was able to remove his cataracts, and that that Chinese person could see again. It was just a few days later, the missionary who was the doctor that performed that minor miracle, looks out his window, and he noticed that same farmer, he's holding the end of a long rope, and holding onto that rope was a long line of dozens of blind Chinese whom the man had already gone to. He told them about the doctor that had worked a miracle and gave him back his sight. Why is it not us? We've received the greatest gift ever. How come we're not bringing dozens of people and telling them about Jesus and introducing them to the one who could give them a true miracle, a new heart, a new life, a new mind, peace, purpose, We all ought to be trailing behind as people who are spiritually lost because we know the God who can give them life. 
You know how King David used to sing about God? He's a musician. King David is a worship leader. He said in Psalm 16, 11, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Those were promises in his life, not when he was dead. You will show me the way of life. You will grant me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Life begins now, and then it goes on forever when you're in Christ. And that way of life that David sang about is committing yourself to the belief that God has made a way for you through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. He died so that you could live. He freed you from bondage. He can free you from the paralysis of your rebel and cosmically treasonous heart. And he can free you from the darkness of this world that sucks the joy out of your being. And we have the good news of our loving God who can bring life to anyone who will believe in Jesus. So actually, I end with one more question. And this is the most important question that I've ever asked you in this sermon. I asked you a bunch, but this is the most important one. Will you share this good news? Today, tonight. Even tomorrow, to those who do not yet believe, will you share it? I'm going to tell you, all you will be doing is giving them the greatest gift that they have ever seen. Jesus. Amen? Father, I pray for all of us, me included. Lord, that we would see what an honor, what a privilege, what a gift it is to be the delivery system for the gospel. Lord, to be able to tell people about Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would not let our issues in our life stop us, Lord. Let us not worry. Let us not be afraid. Let us not have anxiety. Let us overcome racism or prejudice. Lord, or discrimination, Lord, just, Father, overcome that in us. And let us be like that Chinese man who can now see. He went back village to village and recruited and found and invited blind person after blind person. That's a true story. And then he brought them to the doctor. He didn't just tell them to go to this village and see this doctor. He actually led them. To the doctor because blind people can't get there on their own lord that's as true for the spiritually blind and the spiritually lost as it is for the physically blind who is going to get them to the great physician jesus christ who can open their eyes who can give them a new heart who can save them from spiritual death and give them life, both in this lifetime and forever. Who's going to do that if it's not the church? If it's not every one of us who call ourselves Christians? Lord, send us out. Lord, I pray that today will be the day that we absolutely overcome any barrier and go to the spiritually lost and tell them about Jesus so that that person can have life. 
It's in the powerful, abundant, life-giving name of Jesus we pray.